fundamentally to the issue of economic growth and looked at the loss of GDP to the UK by not having the labour and skills that we need in the country to grow. That really gave us a foundation for jumping off with the policies that we've now launched in the 2023 version, which is the Manifesto for Dynamic Growth. Why now? Well, parties are at different stages of their thinking and internal negotiations slash battles probably around what makes it into the manifesto. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome along to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. Hope you are having a good uh, February so far. It felt like January went on for about three to four months, not just one. But <laughs> the, the evenings are lightning again now and hopefully uh, uh, we're getting toward, towards spring. Uh, lots going on at the REC. If you're in for the latest data, remember that Report on Jobs is out on the 8th of February. That's all of our billings data for January, which will give you a really clear picture of where the market is. We saw in our December data that uh, there's still some drag down effect uh, on the market being driven by uh, economic uncertainty. We'll see how that plays out on the 8th of February. You can check out on that on the REC website. We've also recently published our manifesto, Dynamic Labour Markets for Growth. That's going to be the core text of a lot of what we're doing at the REC over the course of the year. And I'm delighted to say that's going to be the main focus of the podcast today. So we'll dig into that in a second. And do obviously come and see us. Loads of events going on around the country. Uh, just this week, we're having a great session in Cardiff with REC Cymru. Uh, we had a good meeting in Newcastle last week. Uh, we're in Nottingham on the 20th of February. Uh, the Education Group is meeting in London on the 27th of February, uh, in Edinburgh on the 29th of February, Sheffield on the 5th of March, London on the 7th of March. Um, lots of uh, uh, lots of uh, meetings coming up around the country. They're all on the website and the health group meeting is on the 28th of March. So plenty of opportunity to talk to your REC team, get across those points that are um, uh, that are keeping you up at night and talk about how we can help you to address uh, the future growth and the difference that your uh, business makes. I want to say before we start today, though, we're on the conversation, big thank you to our REC members for renewing membership for 2024. We've actually had a much faster renewals process than in other years, and I appreciate, particularly in a market like the one we've got at the moment, that making that commitment early is a big decision for you. So hugely thankful for your continued support of the REC. And obviously this year with an election, with an uncertain economy, it's more important than ever that we're right by your side. So thank you for your commitment in doing that. Now, I said earlier that we were going to spend the balance of today's uh, podcast on the important issue of the REC manifesto. To help me talk about that, I'm delighted uh, to welcome the REC's Campaigns and Insights Director, Shazia Jazz. Shaz, welcome back to the podcast. Hello, it's nice to be here. It's been a it's been a while. And what uh, struck me there, Neil, was the amazing amount of places that the REC is uh, is going to be. And I thought to myself, well, we're not doing too badly on giving Taylor Swift a run for her money on um, the REC doing its own sort of eras tour across 
conference centres around the country. Although none of us are, as of yet, going out with an NFL star. So uh, <laughs> there's still horizons to achieve. Um, but, well, great to have you on the podcast, Charles. And you, you lead so much of our work on research, on policy campaigning, on talking to government, but also in the kind of insights piece that we we put out into the press uh, on a regular basis. Um, I said earlier, we're going to focus in on uh, Dynamic Labour Markets for Growth, which is the REC's manifesto, very much our manifesto for the 2024 tiny asterisks or possibly January 2025, close brackets, um, a general election. But of course, something that we wanted to start communicating to parties now. So why don't we start with um, kind of why publish a manifesto now? Um, you know, party manifestos will come out once the election's called. What's the point of getting a, a view from the REC's members out into the public domain now on what a new government should be doing? I will start by saying that we were pretty early off the blocks in terms of thinking about the fact that, you know, as you said, 2024, um, potentially the beginning of 25, were going to be election uh, years. And um, so start to think quite a while ago about what does that mean for us? How do we start to solidify our thinking around this? And importantly, how do we get the message out there to the parties? So some listeners might even recall that we launched something called the Manifesto for Growth in 2022. Um, and the reason for that was it was very much to sort of start getting our own narrative clear in our heads by talking to members, really understanding what was important to them so that we'd be ready to then build off of that as the sort of slow um, wheel started to churn towards politicians knowing that an election was looming. Um, the other bit of context, I think, um, to remind people of is part of that was we published our overcoming shortages report in 2023. And that was about looking at, you know, various um, recommendations to overcome the shortages that, you know, mean our labour market is is very tight and the work of recruiters is not made easy at all. Um, and we tied that report fundamentally to the issue of economic growth and looked at the loss of GDP to the UK by not having the labour and skills that we need in the country to grow. That really gave us a foundation for jumping off with the policies that we've now launched in the 2023 version, which is the Manifesto for Dynamic Growth. And why now? Well, parties are at different stages of their thinking and internal negotiations slash battles probably around what makes it into the manifesto. And they have different approaches to doing that. I was in a room with other um, public affairs uh, colleagues a couple of weeks ago, and one of the people in the room is involved in the Liberal Democrat manifesto uh, work, which apparently is still ongoing and being written. The Labour Party have a quite a, a different and unique um, process to sort of drill down into their manifesto um, asks. And they, they have what they call a national policy forum process. So they put out themes um, 
and ask people to consult. And they did that in early 2023. So we started thinking then about how do we make sure that we speak the REC priorities in a way that speaks to sort of the Labour missions and how they're viewing things. So we've launched our latest manifesto and the last one, obviously, before the next general election. But there's been that little bit of build up, which I think has really helped. Yeah, I think that's that's really telling this sense that uh, parties deal with their manifesto development in very different ways. You know, Labour, the Labour Party has always um had a had a meeting with the major affiliated trade unions and it's all it, it's not done completely in the open but it's it, it's done in a very kind of clearly processed way and then that manifesto shapes over time and we've seen some moving parts around how do you talk about their commitment to green investment for instance um so the, there are opportunities that come up uh, we were uh invited in by Angela Rayner's office a few weeks ago to talk about things like the future path of the minimum wage. Um, and that's obviously manifesto shaping um, activity. On the flip side, the Liberal Democrats do everything by committee uh, and, and that's quite open, whereas the Conservatives are very much more kind of keeping their cards close to their chest until, until the end. And what that does, doesn't it, is it just puts a premium on organisations like the REC having a clear idea of what members need and a clear sense of uh, what is possible. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, the thing I often reflect on is, um, you know, governments have lots of resources um, and, uh, you know, they're in a position of power and authority. And that means that by way of that, they're meeting with people, they're speaking with people um, and they got in getting a lot of information as they go along. And so, the, the, you know, um, they have a lot to go on. With opposition parties, you know, there's not very much money. They don't have as many sort of party staffers as you think they might have working on all of this stuff. So they really are hungry to get expert knowledge where they can um, from, you know, think tanks or, you know, industry organisations or academics, whatever it may be. Um, and so we, we you know, have always been keenly aware of that. And we've been trying to make sure, therefore, that our positions are so clear and evidence based that that we sort of, you know, always one foot forward in terms of giving those um, busy, tired um, policy staff in the opposition parties, especially something that they can kind of take off the shelf almost uh, and go and discuss with with um, you know their MPs or, or shadow ministers or whoever it may be. So I think we've given ourselves a, a good opportunity, and we're obviously now with the manifesto being launched, we're very much using that to sort of remind people, uh, target people on specific policy areas. Um, and try and get more meetings in to discuss some of this in detail. And we've had already some um, responses from all the uh, main political parties um, wanting some meetings. So there's a a Liberal Democrat MP in, um, I think, Somerset and Frome, who's very interested in discussing it with us. There's Chloe Smith, who was a minister in the, the government that has reached out and said she wants to have a chat. So 
you know, this is the beginning of, of what will be a sort of a drawn out campaign from the REC until the election, importantly, post the election as well, to keep drumming these messages home around what makes um, for um, a dynamic labour market that supports economic growth in the UK. Yeah, I think that point about consistency really matters um, because it, none of these things are a kind of fire and forget or a one off. One of the reasons for producing the manifesto in January is that it aligns the REC's messaging into all the parties for the whole of the year. And that feels incredibly important when yeah, you, you're going to get fits and starts of five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes with a minister or a shadow minister to really make the case. And, you know, one of the things we were talking about before this, uh, Charles, was, well, how do you, you know, what matters to persuading ministers? And I think one of the things that you and the team have done really well with this manifesto is make sure that whatever we're saying aligns to the the kind of the wider view that politicians are taking because a manifesto that's just special pleading for recruiters, much as though I'm sure all of the items would be entirely justifiable and very worthwhile, it isn't going to be as attractive to uh, politicians with multiple briefs to look after than something which does link into this question of growth, uh, which is the only way that tax rates come down and public services are well funded, that that demonstrates that those the solutions that we're putting forward, which are beneficial for the industry, are also actually beneficial much more broadly for uh the public good that's why we talk a lot at the rec about making great work happen because actually the rec is persuasive where we're demonstrating the difference that the industry makes to workers and to to the uh to the economy and i think the um the themes of the manifesto pick that up in that they are you know the specific asks are by definition specific and they're very focused there is of course something on ir35 in there there's something on the apprenticeship levy there's something on uh, on, on immigration, there's something on uh, what? There's more than something. There's quite a lot on regulation for our industry, um, but they're set in the context of much bigger themes that are more likely to attract political attention. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's that's the whole thing. We know what the big picture issues are that political parties and and that you know MPs and people are going to be speaking to. Um, voters on the doorstep about we know what actually some of the big debates are internally even within their own parties um, and we have to remember to stand um, back from that enough to think about ultimately what the big picture stuff is that will really matter and that will stay the course of any campaign uh, but also then make sure that we are speaking their language on some of the big issues and feeding into that then where we can on the very specific um, asks that are important to business in general, but also obviously our our members as well. Um, and that that's how you're going to get cut through, right, Neil? Because we know that, you know, it's not just the REC that's going to be publishing a manifesto like that, although I was very proud to hear in the within the room of a uh, 
public affairs and policy people that I was in a couple of weeks ago that we were first off the blocks in terms of having ours published. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a crowded field. Um, and that's why, as you say, the consistency, making sure that this is relevant um, in the big picture themes, not just special pleading as it may be interpreted, is I think key to us standing out from the crowd a bit. Yeah, look, I think I was in a room uh, with the other trade associations this week and you know, there's something in using our insight and specialism to shape their lobbying as well in terms of their understanding of what's possible and 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 what's possible really matters because you know i've read quite a few manifesto documents from different uh bodies now and i think the ones that sing out to you are the ones where you can see the path to them achieving their goals um sometimes there are things that uh business, businesses really really want but it just isn't the right political time to put them forward yeah. one of the things that we're really clear on is that everything in the rec's manifesto is realistic to do in the first term of a uh, of a government post, post election rather than asking for things which sound good but are practically less deliverable because it's all very well to kind of be out there campaigning for your members but you have to be out there campaigning for your members to achieve things that materially affect their business and i'm really pleased with the practicality of what we've got in uh dynamic labor markets for growth um can i ask you on the back of that and you've talked about access and meetings that we're already having and certainly you know i'm spending time in whitehall and westminster all the more now because because we're starting to to have those ramping up meetings um, what what would your assessment be of the REC's access and uh, relations with the two main parties now? So obviously, given that the, you know, the Conservatives have been in power and we've, you know, been building over the last number of years, our, you know, continuous relationships with with relevant government departments, government ministers, Secretary of State. I mean, Neil, you've been in, out of, uh, in and out of Downing Street uh, a number of times recently. Um, you know, I feel very confident that the government as it stands really does understand kind of um, REC priorities and where we fit into the debate around important issues around skills, uh, immigration, um, the kind of future of work type stuff and the importance of temporary work to sustaining so much of of um, you know uh, business, but and also public services. Now they understand it; they don't always necessarily um, do exactly as we want, as 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 you might imagine, and listeners won't be surprised to hear. Um, but I think what we've got to do now is make sure that we are also reaching more broadly into um you know the MPs um looking at where they will be um fighting in marginal seats what are some of the issues there um what what's the data that's important to them and and how we kind of really hone in on now beyond the party onto some of the individual interests as well and i think that's just sort of kind of good um tactics when it comes to the labor party um, we've definitely been very aware of, of building more relationships with them over the last couple of years. As you said uh, rightly, you've already mentioned Angela Rayner. We've got, I would say, really good um, relationship with with her office, whereby you know 
um, they want to talk about something they're unsure of or they, they want a bit more information on something and they will contact us. And that's working both ways um, very nicely. Um, Kate, our deputy CEO, um, and I were on a call last week with Stephen Kinnock, who's the uh, shadow immigration person then we were talking about a range of issues around immigration and agencies but also around um, things like umbrella company regulation and the importance of of uh, resurrecting the sort of single enforcement body as well so you know we are definitely very committed and conscious of where we need to be extending some of those relationships um, but people i think through our general increase in profile over the last few years and our media profile um we all know that politicians um read the papers and uh are very keen on understanding what's in the news in any way that affects or relates to their their issues we've tried to make sure that we are getting in front of um them so for example um on health and trying to sort of get procurement right in that area we've made sure that we've upped our presence in um, things that, you know, government health ministers might read or, or West Streeting and his team might be reading, such as the Health Service Journal and things like that. So it's a kind of a multi-pronged approach to having direct conversations with them, but making sure that we are permeating their kind of um, peripheral vision as well through these other channels. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And of course, um, one of the ways in which REC members can help with that is using the manifesto themselves um, yes. in their local area with, with with candidates. We're always happy to support uh, members in talking to local candidates or raising questions as the election comes up. If you're going to the one of the hustings or uh, or, or just even just sharing the manifesto with your uh, with with the parties locally, all of that is grist the mill of starting. I think what we're really pushing for in the manifesto, which is a bigger, longer term, more cohesive debate about how we work and create wealth in the mid 2020s and moving from, I think, quite an old fashioned understanding of what people want from work and uh, the way people want to work into something that in, that really grabs hold of the opportunities and the flexibility that that people now have. You know, when I'm, you know, there are basically four themes in in the manifesto. And when you look at them, I think that first theme on understanding today's people and labour market challenges feels to me to be absolutely critical mm. to success for any incoming government. Because the truth is, if you are kind of beholden to an ideology about how the labour market works, either one that is on the Conservative side completely committed to supply side reform and just just tearing and just tearing up um, uh, regulations for the sake of it, or on the labour side deeply suspicious of anything that looks like not an open-ended permanent employment contract, um, there is uh, a real risk. So I mean, in that first theme, we talk a lot about going back to the data, getting the gold standard survey of what it is like to work in the UK, whereas done again for the first time in over a decade, mm -hmm. acknowledging the value that different forms of 
uh, Labour have, very much focused obviously on Labour's commitment to reform zero hours contracts, where the kind of the union view is uh, address the exploitation. I think the Labour text at the moment is address the form of the contract. It's the exploitation we should actually be focused on. Yeah. Um, value temporary work uh, as part of that and, and actually work with businesses as part of the industrial strategy to make sure that uh, any changes that we drive through the industrial strategy are genuinely focused on the real things that affect people's lives, how we manage, how we create jobs, how we engage people, and not just on another skills programme, which may or may not hit the mark, however important skills are. So that first theme is really about taking a generation of politicians and many MPs after the election will be new to Parliament and saying, let's start from understanding what we know about the British labour market, because I think that's half the journey for an organisation like the REC in getting politicians to make sensible uh, changes. But of course, it's not just about looking backwards. It's also about looking forwards. And one of the things we say in the second theme is about supporting the labour market with a transition to the future. What do we mean by that, Charles? So there's a few ways of looking at the second theme, which sort of is around preparing, as you say, for the future of work. Um, I'm gonna, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote you to you, Neil, uh, as odd as that might seem. I'm, I'm gonna say what I always say, which is, uh, if you're looking for a second opinion on anything, just ask me tomorrow. <laughs> Um, I think this really sums it up. So our kind of opening uh, gamut uh, in the manifesto document, uh, big bold letters says, it's only by driving growth that we can fund public services and bring the tax burden down. But success in that mission, the prosperity of the UK rests primarily on the talent of our people. So it's, you know, it's very clear there, and that speaks to any politician, or it should speak to any politician, thinking about almost any policy issue. Um, And when we talk about preparing for the future, there are some things about helping us address some of the challenges that we've got right now around tight labour market, um, getting more people into the labour market with the right skills. So we talk about um, what that means with regards to having a immigration policy that flexes and and meets the needs of business. And there are some specific asks around that. We look at how um, we could tweak some of the processes around the uh, Migration Advisory Committee to make sure that there's more kind of business input there. We we look at some of the issues around local skills planning, where we know our members are more keen to be involved. Um, and so we are um, talking about the sorts of things that, well, that this government have introduced, like the local skills improvement plans and that the a late Labour Party has said that they would com- be committed to keeping and the role of employers in that. So it's kind of how do we overcome some of the blockages in the in the labour market that we see? And then we're looking forward to things that I don't think anybody's really fully grasped with enough substance as of yet in terms of, of the political parties and a future government, which is um, skills around net zero and green jobs, how meeting 
our sort of 2030 commitments around that as a country, you know, the role of the labour market in that and therefore the role of the skill system in that. Um, Neil, we published our tech-enabled humanity report um, last year where we, you know, talk about um, the importance of embracing technology mm -hmm. for the industry and, you know, everybody and their mum are talking about um, AI. And so, you know, again, looking at sort of what some of the impact of AI might be and how we can deliver a kind of a safe space um, for recruiters to, to take advantage of, of AI technology and do things in the in an ethical sort of way. So there's there's a lot about how we open up the flow for having um, being able to sort of fulfill the needs of business, meet some of the gov any potential government's own targets um, and make sure that the labour market is supporting all of that activity. And that's what we're doing in theme two. Yeah, and I think it's, what's really entailing there is how that pushes through to the education system as well. So how do we how do we reform careers advice, give people locally, young people better pathways so they get they get into the systems that our members are using to help trying uh, try to pull people through and fill some of those gaps, both in terms of skills pathways, but also in terms of work opportunities. So lots of thinking there, very linked to theme three, which is about workforce productivity and tackling the inactivity challenge. I mean, lots here that is about co really core REC messaging. Uh, you know, the apprenticeship levy is uh, government's big intervention in skills development, it just doesn't work uh, and needs to be reformed. So an early first 100 day commitment to changing the apprenticeship levy to make it enable skills rather than just raise taxes for uh, the the the, uh, the cha chancellor is really important. There are a whole slew of things that are about enabling people to work. We have a really tight labour market and even sensible immigration reforms isn't going to take away from the fact that the baby boomers are retiring and there are a lot fewer people in the younger generation. So it is about how we help people work. What do we do on childcare? How do we make sure that things like local rail and bus links are uh, are designed to enable people to get to work? Um, and, and I think importantly also, how do we make sure that what the government does is more effective? And I'd pick out in particular uh, public sector uh, procurement processes there where we know that they are inefficient. We know that they lock out uh often lock out smaller businesses uh we know that that for instance the rates for on the nhs nursing frameworks haven't been uplifted for so long that it's driving high cost bank high cost off framework provision which is a problem for us in the industry because it gets reported as uh as high agency costs it's not agency costs it's wages it's what it takes to persuade someone to take a shift at three hours notice so there's a real need for more partnership working between business and government generally. Really welcome Ian Anderson, friend of the REC's report for Labour uh, the other week on uh, how to do business government links better and certainly some REC thinking reflected in that from our meetings with Ian. Um, but that piece around uh, more longer term strategic thinking about how we make the most of the labour force we have seems super important and linked, of course, to theme one in as much as we need to enable people to come into work we need 
to understand how they want to work. And then probably, I don't think perhaps for some people, the driest element, but I'm a geek when it comes to labour regulation uh, of, the, of the manifesto is then how do you have a legal base, a regulatory base and enforcement base that respects the fact that vast amounts of people want to work flexibly they want to be temps they want to be contractors they don't want to work on a thursday because they've got a caring responsibility there's a whole range of choice that people have and i think enabling choice for people is at the heart of you know what our industry's always been about and and there there's quite a lot that we can do isn't there shars to to move things on yeah, absolutely. I was um I was at a uh, policy meeting around sort of tackling inactivity and getting people that are already working to to be able to work more um and do more hours with the Department for Work and Pensions yesterday. And so many of these things came up in relation to being um, flexible and making sure that flexibility is built in, trying to unpick some of the the issues around making sure the infrastructure is there. If we if we expect more people to be in work, then making sure that they can get to work, and that especially in rural areas, we have things like buses and etc. Working effectively. Lots of nodding, and from you know other organisations in the room as well. When we talk about the re- the really important need to understand that people work differently now, and that's you know that's going to continue to change. So we need to think now about how we set the right regulatory frameworks to enable. Um, agencies who are a big part of of, uh, bringing that flexibility into the labour market to function efficiently. Um, So yes, you already mentioned at the the top of the uh, podcast, um, we talk about in the manifesto, the need to sort of overhaul IR35 and and really sort of, I mean, you know, it's been going on the inefficiency and inability to improve uh, what is out there has been going on for far too long. Um, And we hear, you know, we hear MPs and people sort of acknowledge that. So um, let's see what happens there after an election. So when it comes to umbrella regulation, um, the REC has been talking about that and and, uh, talking to civil servants at the the Department for Business and Trade and various people about the need to regulate umbrellas. Neil, you and I recently met with Minister Kevin Hollenrake to talk about some of the nitty gritty about moving forward. Um, uh, on that and there was real sort of um, commitment to him about something happening around that uh, around the autumn time this year let's see it's something uh, Kate and I were also uh, talking to Stephen Kinnock about last week and as I mentioned the single enforcement body as well so there's that's a you know a large chunk of, of what we go into in the manifesto as well around how we make um our industry um, even, uh, you know, make make our industry even more um, successful where our industry wants to be compliant and make sure that there aren't rogue players that are sort of getting in the way of the compliance that matters so much to them. And we will be picking up on this theme um, uh, soon, a a little bit later in the year, um, not too long away. We're going to be doing some work around labour laws fit for the future, where we will dive in more deeply around specific legislation 
um, to do with working time regulation, etc., and how that can be improved. And there will be, you know, we'll be talking to sort of potential incoming governments, but primarily we'll also be talking to civil servants who will be here post an election as well, and kind of giving them a how-to guide on how to get this regulation right. So hopefully, Neil, doing um, our, ourselves as a team uh, a little bit out of a uh, out of a job if we can finally get government to get some of this regulation right. Well, you're always trying to abolish yourself in, a, <laughs> in any job, and that's you know that that that's a reasonable goal. Um, look, I think this could be summed up as a couple of things. One is we all know that as an industry, compliance really matters. That's why members join the REC. Uh, one of the messages for Labour, you know, the miles ahead in the polls at the moment are very likely to be in government. One of the messages for Labour for us is there's actually quite a lot of regulation on the statute book. Ask yourself the question whether what you need is new regulation or whether you need different regulation and actually to enforce the regulation you have. So thinking about the single enforcement body, which we talked about, thinking about including umbrellas in uh, the conduct regs. Uh, but also thinking about, well, if we have regulation like the working time regulations, which are from 1998, then we got some changes made at the beginning of January, of course, to that. But actually, do we want to go back and say we want to maintain the goals of this regulation, but have times changed to the extent where we might want to take a slightly different approach that maybe encompasses greater greater flexibility. I think those things feel like an important conversation to have with government when set in the context of the need to go for growth, the need to transition to a, uh, a wider economy and the wide range of practice and approaches that we see in what is a phenomenally diverse labour market in the UK. You know, what runs through all of this, Charles, I think is a great deal of optimism. You know, I, I was at a meeting with some uh, trade associations from different sectors earlier in the week and I slightly got frustrated because there is a bit of a narrative about everything's broken at the moment and I don't think everything is broken in the British labour market I think actually things are pretty positive uh, you know growth isn't great but look at the resilience that the industry's shown that later the employment is showing I think when growth comes back and you know we're very keen that the Bank of England stops putting its foot on the throat of growth by dropping interest rates reasonably soon actually there's some there's quite a lot to be there's quite a lot of opportunity to go for and that kind of maybe speaks to our our natural optimism as recruiters but I what I like about the the manifesto is that's that's its outset is we can do this this is something that the united kingdom can do and can achieve and and we should go for it and it will require business and government to work together in new ways but maybe after an election there's going to be more of an appetite for that um Charles, this is an ongoing campaign i know uh members who want to chat about this can always get in touch uh by email or on linkedin and i believe it's the manifestos up on the rec website to be downloaded uh, by members for their own use as well is that right absolutely um so it's uh, hopefully for a manifesto document it's not dry and dull um and yes you'll find it on the rec website and you earlier on mentioned that you know one of the ways we keep this document working for us and our members is for members to share it um we'll make sure that uh, there is a template letter soon on the website uh where mps uh, where members can download it and sort of tailor to send off to their mps so it's important not just for us to be maintaining those relationships in an election year, but we would encourage all of you to do the same. 
and important to say um, that with uh, the return of Stormont in Northern Ireland, with uh, a new First Minister in Wales, uh, with a run-up to an election in Scotland still a little bit away yet, we will also be turning our attention over the next few months to versions of this that are not about the UK-wide agenda, but actually about the specific agenda in each of the above nations as well. And I'm really looking forward this month to getting on the road to, to Cardiff and to Edinburgh and to uh, to seeing members there and discussing what we can do. And I will be in Belfast very soon, uh, although they did get double Carberry at the tail end of last year. So maybe they've had enough of me for the, mo- uh, for, for the moment. Charles, thank you for joining us on this episode of the podcast. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise, thank you. Um, and thank you to all of you for joining this episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. If you've enjoyed this one, you'd like to dive in a little deeper. Our last two episodes, really interesting ones. Episode 26 with Matthew Rag of Gattaca looks at the role of recruiters in improving the diversity of the candidate pool in uh, high tech sectors, but also is a really good reflection of Matthew's journey turning Gattaca around as a business and and some of the progress they've made. Really interesting leadership story in that one as well. Or episode 27 with Sarah Atkinson of the Social Mobility Foundation, looking at the difference that recruiters can make to improving opportunities across the UK for people from all social backgrounds. A couple of really interesting chats there that you might like to pick up on. Thank you again for joining us and I look forward to uh, talking to you again soon on another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. Thank you for listening today. I hope you took away some valuable thoughts from this discussion. If you'd like to hear more, head to rec.uk.com forward slash talking recruitment or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Simply search Talking Recruitment to find us.